Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast and to our theology segment. One of our listeners writes in and they have a great question today. I love this question. The question is, what is verbal plenary inspiration? This is a, this is a fascinating question. I, I love this question. Inspiration is an attempt to translate a Greek word, theopneustos, that occurs only in 2 Timothy 3.16. Theopneustos is made from two words, one being from the word for God, theos, as in theology, and the other referring to breath or wind, pneustos, as in pneumonia or pneumatic, it is significant that the Greek word is used in 2 Timothy. It's, it's passive. In other words, God is not breathed into as an inspire all scripture, but is breathed out by God as or expired. And thus, 2 Timothy 3.16 is not about how the Bible came to us, but where it came from. The scriptures are God-breathed. Two words are sometimes used to explain the extent of biblical inerrancy, plenary and verbal. Plenary comes from the Latin word plenuis, which means full. It refers to the whole of scripture and every part as God-given. Verbal comes from the Latin word verbium, which means word, and it emphasizes that even the words of scripture are God-breathed. So plenary and verbal inspiration, it means that the Bible is God-given. It's therefore without error in every part, doctrine, history, geography, dates, and names, and in every single word. The Old Testament writers saw their message as God-breathed and utterly reliable. God promises Moses he would eventually send another prophet, Jesus Christ, who would, who would speak God's word as Moses had done. Jeremiah was told at the beginning of his ministry he would speak for the Lord. Now, Peter and John, they saw the words of David in Psalm 2, not merely as the opinion of king, as a king of Israel, but as the voice of the Lord. And they introduced a quotation from the psalm in a prayer to God in Acts 4.25. Now, similarly, Paul accepted Isaiah's words as God is himself speaking to men. Acts 28.25 says, And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, so convinced were the writers of the New Testament that all the words of the Old Testament scripture were actually the words of God. They even claimed that scripture says when the words quoted came directly from God himself. Two examples of this are Romans 9.17 and Galatians 3.8, where Paul foreseeing that, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. In Hebrews 1, many of the Old Testament passages quoted were actually addressed to God by the psalmist. And yet the writer to the Hebrews refers to them as the word of God. In John 10, 34, Jesus quoted from Psalm 82, 6. He based his teaching upon a single phrase. In other words, Jesus proclaimed that the words of this psalm were the words of God. And now, in Matthew 22, 31-32, he claimed that the words of Exodus 3, 6 were given them by God. In Matthew 22, 43-44, our Lord quoted from Psalm 119, 1, and he pointed out that David wrote these words in the Spirit. 
meaning he was writing the very words of God. So as we look to scripture, it's crystal clear that Jesus recognized the authority and inerrancy of scripture. In fact, the way he uses it especially affirms their inspiration. Jesus made a constant appeal to it when he was tempted by Satan in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And he often used the word in his ministry to defend his actions. These examples, they demonstrate the authority Jesus placed in the scriptures themselves. Even so, we're not left to make assumptions based on Jesus' actions alone. He on multiple occasions taught the scriptures in such a way as to make his position clear on the inerrancy of the Bible. In a confrontation with the Sadducees over the doctrine of the resurrection, which they, by the way, denied, Jesus silenced his opponents, arguing the entire resurrection belief on a tense of a single verb, to be in Matthew twenty-two thirty-two. Jehovah had told Moses at the burning bush, I, I am the God of Abraham. But as Jesus thought, Abraham had been dead 480 years when the statement was made. And so arguing that, that God was a God of the living, not of the dead, Jesus claimed that after death to be, uh, after death to be true. Jesus used the tense of a verb to prove Abraham was not merely physically dead, but he was living in the presence of God. And the fact that Jesus used a word in its tense demonstrates his deep confidence in the inspiration and the inerrancy of scripture. You see, Hebrews 4.12 tells us that, that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the means by which he uses to convict and, and to uh, train and to correct us and grow us, the people of God, in the grace of God. In fact, throughout the history of the church, the Lord has used men like Augustine, Calvin, Spurgeon to call the church to stand on the word. The, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, uh, said this, and he's right, believers must never adjust the Bible to the age, but the age to the Bible. You see, Christians are to commit themselves to an entire life lived on the Lord Jesus Christ in every phase and to the daily reading and study and proclamation of the word of God. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.